0: You're listening to The Report Card. The Report Card podcast is a commentary show about contemporary American politics and international affairs with your hosts, Scott Dworkin and Grant Stern, where they grade what they're seeing in the news each week, invite activists, elected officials, and newsmakers to chat and to take your questions, too. You're listening to
1: The Report Card. And I'm your co-host, Grant Stern. I'm your co-host, Scotty Dworkin. I'm also the... uh, That's a nickname that we, I I I also am a uh, intern for the show. Did you know that, Grant?
0: Wow! Congratulations on your new position as an intern. I
1: gave myself a raise, uh, mm-hmm. and a title bump, and a t- <laughs> as, as well. <laughs> oh my yeah, gosh! There's so much to talk about. I, I yeah, don't even. There's a lot uh, going on.
0: I don't um, know where so, to I mean, start. Well, look. We for start? starters, the title of this episode is uh, "President Biden and Democrats are better for our national security and troops."
1: Right. And so why don't you tell people about the emotional moment you had the other night? Because I think that that connects with a lot of folks. And, uh, you know, in in case people don't know, President Biden took out one of the organizers of the 9-11 attack on the United States of America and the World Trade Center. Um, you know, the Pentagon in Pennsylvania, the downing of the plane um, and on and on and on. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you had seen. His his speech, I believe. Uh, but just the whole thing. Um, yeah. What, I mean, what are your thoughts?
0: Just, you know, it made me think about justice. I mean, this is we're coming up on the, the 21st anniversary of the these horrible attacks. Right. Um, you know, like I, I'm friends with Fred Gutenberg, for example. You know, people know Fred because he lost his daughter to a mass shooting. But he also lost his brother. To the after effects of nine eleven to to the toxicity that was unleashed at the the nine eleven site um you know so i mean he's he's gone through a lot and he's not the only person that I know that's been impacted by nine eleven and you know just to think that you know osama bin laden 's right hand guy is finally you know being brought to justice and uh, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to capture him and put him on trial for all the things we've done, but i mean this is uh I mean it's pretty much like it gives closure and it just it, it, it's crazy when you think about it because I was just thinking about how President Biden wanted to pull America's troops out of Afghanistan um during the the Obama era and I've read about that and I in a book called Obama's Wars by uh by uh Bob Woodward the the famous uh, post reporter and um you know he was a contrarian people thought it was a bad idea then you know it happened last year and for for us to actually capture the basically the head of al-Qaeda, I mean, you know, eliminate, neutralize um, as a nation, this is just such a big deal. And we did it a year after pulling the troops out. I, I feel like it was just such a huge vindication for our country um, and a huge vindication for President Biden, not just for his positions this year as the president, but going back for a long time now. And, and so it was just a very powerful moment when I thought about the justice that this served to the families of, of the victims of 9-11, the children that are in their mid-20s. Um, I saw a special last year about the children who, who followed their parents' footsteps into the FDNY, you know, and, and how they coped with missing their parents all of those years. It's, it, it is a very big moment for our country, I think. And, and the fact that President Biden was able to pull that off uh, with our government after leaving Afghanistan, I mean, that's just, it's amazing.
1: What else can you say? Well, I mean, we we laid this out, uh, you know, you were the editor of my op-ed in Newsweek, which took over that week. I remember we were looking for different reasons, and I started writing on my phone when I was on the road, uh, the different reasons why Biden wasn't to blame for Afghanistan in the first place, um, and how Trump had really made things worse there, uh, and you know, obviously, uh, you helped to tone that up. Uh, but but the what we had written here was to stop blaming Biden for Afghanistan. He's cleaning up Trump's mess. And what was the hashtag well, that, was that the, we had? That
0: was the title.
1: What um, was the hashtag? What was the hashtag that we? Uh, it was respect Biden. respect
0: biden i came up with that one
1: trended worldwide not
0: using the hashtag stop blaming biden
1: no i that's the the, it was just it was just so uh it was good to have something back but it's just it's sad that all these people are talking about like they even republicans why were republicans even talking about you know the fact that they were it was it was a bad idea like i heard republicans running around saying that it was a bad idea to do this they, they were looking for any reason to try and attack biden it's kind of like the fox news hits on oh well gas station employees are taking a hit for the lowering gas prices like what are you talking about just well, say oh, the let gas me tell you this lower.
0: um the the twitter account defiant l's pulled up what i said after uh Baghdadi uh was caught by american forces in in syria Um, and what I said was give all the credit to the United States armed forces. That's what Trump said we should do. So I'm doing it. And there was a tweet for that. And that was actually what my old tweet, you know, three years ago said, and defiant L's brought that up as if like, there was something inconsistent about me quoting Trump to not give credit to Trump, but I give credit to Biden and I gave credit to Obama for catching bin Laden. Bush didn't do it. Trump didn't get the Zahari. I mean, let's be real here. It's been a a generational goal of our government, the global war on terror, to get these guys from Al-Qaeda. And, I mean, you know, they're not as powerful as they used to be. But the fact that he was in Kabul shows you that uh, this could have all happened again. And and taking out the head of that network, the uh, the person with the most prestige, who survived 20 years of being hunted, is a big deal. Because... And, and, you know, I I would just say without going too deep into detail, but in the Muslim world, uh, hiding out when everybody wants to kill you and surviving, it's it's a prestigious thing. You know, right. So this guy had a lot of prestige.
1: Well, you know, I I think that you have a good point there with in regards to the national security. I mean, look at all the Republicans that visited Russia on July 4th and fell into that trap look at all the republicans that fell into the trap of r- literal russians that were spying on them well uh, look at all
0: the republicans uh yesterday who were criticizing nancy pelosi for upsetting china
1: right and then we're I mean, back to playing chess america as a first but
0: china firster
1: right is it's not like that stick? wasn't coordinated with the white house and everybody else i mean like come on this is obvious biden can go there harris can go there Speaker Pelosi went there. I mean, it it really, yeah. We're we're not going to abandon Taiwan. Uh, I think that's what Speaker Pelosi said. China begins military drills. You know, I I, I think that there's bigger reasons for us going there. And um, look,
0: there's a reason why America built a world order around a rules-based society for the the globe. And I mean, let's be real here. The reason why Russia is invading Ukraine today, again, is that under Bush, the Republicans lied their way into getting America to break that order. Okay?
1: Right.
0: And the, the, the Russians never forgot it, and they've planned their lives accordingly ever since. And there's nothing that we can do to go back in time and change that. Nothing. It's too late. I mean, you know, I voted for Gore. I mean, what, what else could I do?
1: But uh You voted for Gore in what what year was that, Grant? That was
0: in two thousand. I was actually oh. at the Miami Beach rally, the midnight rally for Al Gore that they showed in Fahrenheit nine eleven too.
1: Interesting. That was my first vote ever. That was my first vote. Oh,
0: you know, I, I got a copy of my voter registration and found out that I I registered when I was uh right right two days before my nineteenth birthday to vote for bill clinton in 1996 in the florida uh primary
1: hmm yeah. i was not registered as a democrat in my first so i was a...
0: registered as a democrat for that long <laughs> uh, hey. so so anyway I, you know we have a caller and i wanted to take his call andrew uh left us a message in the chat that says i know the title of the talk is clickbait i mean it's just a generic something to spark discussion but if you really believe that And think America is in danger or that our troops are safer in war zones overseas then you are living in a very sheltered reality. That's what he commented. So I want to bring him on to discuss this. This is Colin. This is a place for us to discuss things with you guys. So we love taking your calls. And we've gotten really good call-ins on here. So, Andrew, welcome to the report card. Uh, What do you have to say to expound on
2: that before we get chatting? Um, Yeah, I guess – You know, you brought up uh, the 9-11 attacks and the global war on terror um, as a sort of central part of, you know, some of the successes in killing uh, uh, bin Laden or killing, uh, I can't remember the guy's name who was killed in Idlib in Syria. Zahari. Yeah, uh, al-Baghdadi. Al-Baghdadi, yeah. And then just most recently another guy. Um, I think that I think this is ridiculous. I think that if there's if there's, you know, best case scenario for somebody who wanted the U.S. to decline sharply in living standards for the uh, people, you know, civilians and uh, military personnel, um, they would want the U.S. to spend as much money and resources and lives overseas doing this as possible. Um, The only people who are benefiting from the war on terror policies and in general, the decision making of the Pentagon are people like Lloyd Austin, Mark Esper, you name it. You know, there's been a number of weapons contractor, you know, CEOs, board members who have been secretaries of defense, undersecretaries of defense. They are the people making the policy and benefiting from it. And if you actually, you know, obviously, the 9-11 attacks are 100 percent. Unjustifiable. Um, That's not up for dispute. But you can read um, bin Laden's, I can't remember if he calls them fatwas or whatever, his statements in in the mid and late 90s leading up to 9 11. And he talks about how basically the American military presence in the Muslim world is destructive and especially in Saudi Arabia is unacceptable. And, you know, The Clinton administration, I I think, gets a little um, under underappreciated in how much damage it did abroad. I mean, Bush senior and Bill Clinton, they sanctioned and bombed medical like manufacturing, like pharmaceutical plants all across um, parts of Africa, the Middle East throughout the 90s, Um, not to mention all of the other terrible shit they've been doing in other parts of the world, but just specifically talking about so, the so, Andrew, Muslim Andrew, parts of me, Africa the me, Middle okay. East. No, hold uh, on. I, just, just, let me finish this point. i got like 20 more seconds. Okay, um, sure. So, you know, bombing these types of civilian facilities and then lying to the public and saying, oh, we're combating terrorism is depriving the American people of the knowledge that really this blowback was obviously – and it was easily predictable and inevitable mm-hmm. from the rampant, reckless behavior of the United States military abroad in the 1990s and the early 2000s. And just ramping up the drone war, um, you know, you mentioned this recent Al Qaeda official was killed by drone striking. We know for a fact that our drone program has a 90 plus percent civilian casualty rate. That means more than nine times out of ten, okay. When the United States military strikes an area overseas with a drone, civilians are killed instead of the in, instead of the intended target. So we're just oh, increasing okay, the potential Andrew, for more Andrew. blowback. The,
0: the reason why I uh, the, the reason why I stepped in is because I want to like tie us off at something we can actually discuss instead of the entire world and the history of the last thirty years, which is a broad topic for another podcast. No, that was. But I do want to hone in on something you said.
2: To the war on terror.
0: I understand. I get it. I want to hone in on something you said where I think that that there's a lot of agreement, and I certainly agree with you that the war on terror, as it became, grew out of control. It grew into a whole war on terror complex. Um, That's why we were in Afghanistan so long. That's why I'm so happy we got out of Afghanistan, right? But more than that, the reason why I was saying that this particular strike was the good one is because of the justice for the families from 9-11 in particular – and this is what the war on terror was supposed to be about in the first place, not creating a military industrial complex, blundering into another country that had nothing to do with 9 11. Right. And then, you know, the sending off a, a generation of young men to be exposed to burn pits um, and all those other things. So nobody is saying on this podcast that the war on terror was great and I'm so glad it happened. Right. And nobody is saying that, you know, the United States is always perfect either. But I am just saying that this is a moment where, you know, there was some actual justice after so many years of waste, after so many years of just bad things happening. Like you said, drone strikes, killing the wrong people. War is a horrible thing. I mean, America became a nerd to being at war. You know, Bush was a wartime president, but because of politics, Obama wasn't. But he was the whole time. And then Trump, well, he wasn't much of a wartime president, but he kind of was. And and so, you know. To actually get our country out of these forever wars is a big, big deal by, by President Biden. And I think that that's something that people are going to appreciate more over time, but they should appreciate it more now because of the points you made, that the foreign adventures that our country got into were bad. And what Osama bin Laden wanted was for us to get stuck in a bad foreign war. OK, and he wanted the martyrdom and he got it and it hurt our country. It hurt our country's standard of living. And more than that, I've heard that it also the psychological damage to people in the military for not being able to conquest when they think they should be conquesting is also not a good thing for those folks, too. But I really appreciate your commentary, Andrew. I mean, I think that it's a complex topic, but on the issue of justice, it's just, you know, it is justice. It is, you know, it's not, uh, uh, you know, bringing someone to, you know, this person's doorstep and whatever, but it is justice for the families who were victimized by this particular person. And again, you know, taking out the heads of the organizations isn't a super effective strategy either. I mean, it has to be a whole of of organizational strategy. And people will definitely tell you that al-Qaeda's organization has been sharply degraded over the last 20 years. But seeing that the head was back in Kabul after America left, in contravention of the agreement that donald trump got from the taliban by the way um it it just goes to show you that you know the heads do matter to a certain degree that if this person was trying to reconstitute the network then he was in the ideal place to do it and so you know the fact that that you have the democratic administrations that seem to be a lot more effective at getting the guy i think it's just something people need to keep into account you know um, you know, Democrats have made mistakes too. Interventions are fraught with error. And, and you know, the, the Obama administration made one in Libya, of course. But, um, you know, if you really want to go back to it uh, across the region, uh, America's, you know, involvement in Iran in the 1950s and installing the, the old Shah and the Savak and all the horrible things that happened there that led to their revolution is really the spark, the set, a series of sparks um, that set off the conflagration that we stand in these days. So, I mean, it is a complex topic and that's, you know, we're here to discuss it as much as we can, but not the entire 30 years. I'm sorry. I just can't go that far back. Scott, what do you think?
1: So, you yeah, awake there, Scott, <laughs> Oh, I'm awake. Uh, it's a interesting conversation, but yeah, I've, I've never supported, so. I've never supported the war on terror and, uh, not in respect to how, you know, Cheney and other corporations have benefited. I've been staunchly against all of that, you know. And then there's there's the fact that there's pure evil that is trying to kill Americans and has uh, gone away with it for a while where, where you know, I, that's different. And I think that... You're right, justice was served finally in in this respect, but it's a it's definitely no one on this podcast is uh, none of us are uh supportive of you know the any of the that we never supported going in uh to, I mean
0: you're yeah. you're talking to somebody who's literally been targeted by the DHS and and the the Gwat uh you know surveillance infrastructure because of my journalism. So I totally get that it was not the greatest thing in the world to have this Gwat. But the whole point of it was to get justice for these people who were hurt on 9/11 and this happens to be the one day uh, uh one of two days in the last two decades that there really has been a feeling of justice, a strong feeling, a moving feeling of justice for these poor families
1: All right um, it was It was nice to hear from Andrew, though I like differing opinions and and everything, but there were yeah, a lot yeah. of, I
0: think oh, there no, were Andrew a, a has a lot of, of good points to make absolutely and he's and he's telling us more in the the group chat, and I appreciate that um but I wanted to also talk about the juxtaposition between what just happened um you know in, in Afghanistan. And, and I mean, of course, the central irony is that you know when President Trump had COVID, he took a joyride with the Secret Service without a mask on, potentially getting them sick. But when President Biden had COVID, he he took out the head of Al Qaeda, right? This is a big deal. But more than that, with what's been going on with the PACT Act, um, the the you know, the the act to give benefits to veterans who are exposed to burn pits, and this is not just in Afghanistan and Iraq, but. Especially in those two locations, um, it's just been such a crazy contrast, you know. You have Trump hanging out on the golf course with all of the right-wing uh, celebrities like Tucker Carlson and <clears throat> and Marge Green, and they're they're bathing in Saudi money, right? And the nine eleven victims have been protesting this, you know. And then here you have the Democrats pushing for better health care for veterans. And the Republicans holding it up for their petty partisan reasons.
1: Remember I mean... these names, Tom Tillis, Tommy Tuberville, Pat Toomey, Richard Shelby, James Risch, Cynthia Loomis, uh, Mike Lee, James Langford, Mike Crapo, Rand Paul, and Mitt Romney. They all voted against the bill, and none of them have actually given valid <laughs> reasons as to why you would vote against something so specific uh, and so evil to be again i mean like it just it makes no sense it's it, you know they're gonna say what spending i mean it really makes no sense boosting health care for veterans exposed to toxins during war i mean come on yeah what's like, the downside it, it, to that well, well you, make you know veterans too healthy supporting americans like and then, so you, you know you gotta assume that they're anti-american people i mean and i don't understand i'll never understand mitt romney i mean you know he's
0: He's I just don't understand that vote by Mitt Romney at
1: all. No, I really don't. He I, I don't. I think he's trying to break free. I, I think he's one of the several Republicans who's trying to break free and be like an individual, act like a super conservative at the same time he voted you know, yeah. to hold Trump for justice. And I think he's trying to position himself for president. This is, this is a damning. This ruins that. He can't. If you voted against this, you have no future in politics. You should have no future office at all. Like you shouldn't get reelected. People should run on this in primaries. Um, whenever they, have... I,
0: I just don't understand the play either. I mean, you, you could be as fiscally conservative as you want, but do you really want to take that money out of the hands of our veterans, who just need yeah. better health care?
1: It just did. It didn't make any sense. I mean, they. They. I don't understand. I will never understand why some people make that kind of decision. It just doesn't, they have no reason to do so. Like, you know, this is one of those things that used to years ago pass with, you know, a hundred votes. And now, you know, it's, it, Oh, well, we can't do that because that's a win for Democrats. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah. Especially Mitt Romney of all the people who's like, Oh, we can't give the win a win to the Democrats. I mean,
1: you know what you give a win to the Democrats on? Is when you have 11 freaking people vote against it. When you have 11 Republicans vote against it, you're giving a win to the Democrats. You're not saying that we joined on bipartisan forces and helped lead the charge. This wouldn't have passed without our leadership. Like, you know, they didn't use that kind of tactic. That's how you don't hand a win to Democrats. So that's not even a... Another viable way. And so partisan lines doesn't even make any sense either because you're just giving wins. You're making it partisan by voting against it. So I I don't understand. It's so simple. I mean, they voted against baby formula for American babies like so they're anti baby. And...
0: Well, I mean, look, man, we could go through the list of all the things Republicans vote against, and it's vast.
1: Speaking uh, of babies, or – well, I guess we can go on the topic of abortion. What happened in Kansas last night, Grant? I mean, <laughs> what's is... not
0: wrong in can- with Kansas?
1: <laughs> oh, my – you know, it, well, no, it's... wait a second. Do, no, you remember no, the
0: book? do you remember the book What's Wrong with Kansas uh, from 2004?
1: Uh, no, I, I do not. I think I was uh... – <laughs> In my junior year of one. college. Yeah. I I, oh. I don't think I was reading much. I was interning for the Kerry Edwards campaign, bringing hot dogs and uh, other <laughs> food you know, to people I actually, who worked there. I went
0: to the old Miami arena right before they demolished it for a John Kerry event and, and got to, like, not shake his hand, but just, you know, he came by and gave everybody a high five. And, you know, that was the closest I'd ever been to a presidential candidate. Um, I was uh, 26, 27 at the time, and that was like the first time I felt really involved in the political process, you know. But uh, yeah. I, I, I think I had voted for Edwards in that election, which I mean, my God, how did, uh, look how that turned out! Poor guy. Crazy. <laughs> he,
1: that's Stupid what was, decisions he
0: made that he didn't have
1: based to. Based in, I was based in the North Carolina office, which was the headquarters for Edwards uh, before that, and then I remember <laughs> scanning. We, like we he had was such th- a
0: nice, you know, smiling person and I mean yeah. I, that was like a big lesson in politics that they can smile and still be bad people.
1: I mean he's just terrible. Like and you know, I figured I thought that during the Trump years he could have a resurgence as a Republican. Like you could come back in and be like <laughs> I'm back, I'm back. He might have. <laughs> I'm not so terrible. <laughs> See? Look at this guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's 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 just it's complete nonsense. I mean I I I think that it's important you know, it's important for everyone to just recognize that there are terrible people in the world like the eleven senators. <laughs> have voted against the burn pit bill like the uh you know i i would assume that uh edwards would have voted against it too because he hates you know everything I, <laughs> No, I don't know. He's, Edwards not not that now he, so he's, hey he's, uh, he's not we that got bad, a caller i guess we
0: have a caller do you want to take this one yeah yeah Amanda, welcome to the program. Go ahead and unmute hey.
2: yourself. Hey, yeah, well, I, my ears perked up when I heard you mention Kansas. They actually did the right thing <laughs> yesterday, uh, but I just <laughs> wanted to make sure, Grant, I know you know, but Scott, Eric won last night in Missouri, and this is hilarious <laughs> because uh, yesterday Trump said, "I I support Eric, and we were like, which one, Ding Dong? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Eric, the point. Exactly, yeah. Eric Greitens or Eric Schmidt, but Eric won, and that's uh that's the big news from Missouri today. And also, it's just a few miles from Kansas here.
0: So
1: it you not Eric Greitens terrible? Eric Greitens was awful monster. <sighs> like from what I remember, he should. So I'm glad that they didn't vote for him. But it is cancer versus heart attack,
0: my friend. Intentional mind
1: intentional mindfuckery for you to i mean that's absolutely intentional of trump to sit there and say eric is the eric is who i'm voting for eric is give me a break yeah um
0: Um, this was uh you know nixon had the the one the the one china policy trump has the one eric policy
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. <laughs> he, he, was, he yeah. I mean, well, is it he, his son? He doesn't. He supports his son less. I mean, you know where they're really
0: celebrating what happened in Kansas last night? Kansas City, Missouri, because now they could just drive over the bridge to Kansas City, Kansas, and you know, like have bodily autonomy. Isn't that an amazing thing?
1: One That's once in a while.
0: How it's happening already? Probably. I bet.
1: I mean, it it is. It, the celebrations last night were uh, amazing. I I posted the video. Of it, it seemed like the celebration seemed like a BTS concert. Like people were going <laughs> wild, and it it was really, you know, it was a spark. Like I hate the fact that it would be this archaic, where we have to fight up against this. But uh, I think that this is a huge catalyst for Democrats and the Democratic Party specifically, um, and for women's rights across this country. And Kansas is sending a message that if it can happen in Kansas, I mean, everything's on the table everywhere. So I think this is going to be a main issue for campaigns coming up. And and I think people are going to show up and vote or, you know, vote by mail. And I think they're going to have their friends and family vote. And you could see how emotional it was yesterday for everybody. So, you know, it's it's. It's just uh, it was really uh, inspiring for me to see that last night. And, you know, it gave me a lot of hope that I think we all needed. So uh, the book, What's the
0: Matter with Kansas? How Conservatives Won the Heart of America from 2004 was written by journalist and historian Thomas Frank. He was from Kansas. And, you know, in the late 19th century, Kansas was known actually as a hotbed of the left wing populist movement. Right. But it became overwhelmingly conservative. And I wanted to read this overview uh, from from Wikipedia, which is like a short excerpt. Okay, so uh, Frank claimed that there was a bitter divide between moderate and conservative Republicans. Right. In which uh, fiscal conservative became the universal norm and political war is waged over a handful of hot button cultural issues. Not now, This is from the book. Not long ago, Kansas would have responded to the current situation by making the bastards pay. This would have been a political certainty as predictable as what happens when you touch a match to a puddle of gasoline. When business screwed the farmers and the workers, when it implemented monopoly strategies invasive beyond the populist's furthest imaginations, when it ripped off shareholders and casually tossed thousands out of work, you could be damn sure about what would follow. Not these days. Out here, the gravity of discontent pulls only in one direction, to the right, to the right, further to the right. Strip today's Kansans of their job security, and they head out to become registered Republicans. Push them off their land, and the next thing you know, they're protesting in front of abortion clinics. Squander their life savings on manicures for the CEO, and there's a good chance they'll join the John Birch Society. But ask them about the remedies their ancestors proposed, unions, antitrust, public ownership, and you might as well be referring to these the days when knighthood was in flower. Yeah. I mean, people don't realize what an important bellwether Kansas was for the Republican Party. You know? I, just a big bellwether. I mean, the, the changes in the National Party really happened in Kansas first.
1: Interesting. No, I know. It's a, yeah. It's a, wasn't Sibelius from... God, yes, she old.
0: was. She was. And you know what? Um, her father was the governor of Ohio. She took two Republican Party chairs that were moderates and converted them to her lieutenant governor choices. Right. That's how she won in Kansas. She's a very moderate dem, you know?
1: That's right. And is a health and human services secretary under Obama from '09 to '14. But yeah, I was yeah. in the office for six years and was the insurance commissioner of Kansas for eight years. It's just an interesting take, you know, as a Democrat. She also was a respondent for the 08 State of the Union. Um,
0: yeah, she gave the response. And, you know, by the way, um, giving the response to the State of the Union is the death knell of somebody's political
1: career. Did you know right? that?
0: Those people uh, never you, go on to become presidents or anything bigger than what they are ever, 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 ever. Look at Marco, Rubio, Marco with the water?
1: Rubio with the water yeah. bottle. I, that's exactly what I was. I
0: feel. I feel like Rubio now. I wish I could run out and get some water, but you know, yeah, I'm just stuck we, with we won't you guys. talk
1: about who we're working with. But we're producing new ads for this cycle, and I'm just going to throw it out there for since we're going to focus on every competitive Senate race, including Florida. What do you think about using the water bottle and him just sipping on it on repeat, and that being the ad? No, that's not going to work.
0: We we could do it. Um, you know, it's like like if you just um, if you had to drink everything every time Marco Rubio said something hypocritical.
1: Oh, maybe maybe it's cli- maybe it's clips of him saying something hypocritical and then him drinking the water, and then it's another clip of that, and then him drinking the water again. And I think just, the best thing is
0: to show the Trump Kool-Aid and just say, look, this is Trump Kool-Aid. <laughs> this wasn't So water, change was the Kool-Aid. color.
1: Change the color of the, the water. Anyways, these, are, we'll these, work these, on these it. are the kind of brainstorming sessions that turn into, uh, you, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to define it. But I'll just say that behind the scenes, we get uh, very passionate about everything. But that's how we come up with the, the great content, because we work hard on that. And uh take it very seriously. So
0: Well, I wanted to do the uh Death Santas parody, but we, we didn't get to do that one last year. It would have been good.
1: Oh, Death yeah, Santas, right. baby. <laughs> da, da,
0: da, 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 da. Oh, he's um, finally
1: singing. He's finally showing us his pipes. Thank you.
0: So so yeah, I mean, we're talking about conservative Kansas and this ballot measure lost by seventeen points. This is a state that, that Trump won oh, by oh, wait, 15 wait, points.
1: Wait, wait. We have an appearance by my fancy tiger, Thomas, just FYI. So if I get cut off, it's because the cat has uh, hit a court. Anyways. Control continue. your cat, son. So, <laughs>
0: um, so, I mean, you know, Kansas, you're talking about a plus 15 Trump state that is uh, plus 17.6 on abortion. So, abortion rights are more popular than Donald Trump in the state of Kansas. That's saying something. That is really saying something. I mean, you know, it it means that pretty much across the country, you know, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to start splitting their tickets. uh, And, uh, you know, that's not good for Republicans because they don't want a ticket split. So, if you've got a really hard. Yeah, it's going to hurt.
1: They they no, also, the, the you know, undervoting, just in case anybody doesn't know, undervoting is when people vote for like top line tickets. So they'll vote for governor, Congress, and then they won't vote for the rest of the ticket. They don't vote straight line. So they have a lot of undervoting as well, where people don't vote for the federal office and governor, but they'll vote for their local races because they don't want to quote them, be, be involved, uh, quote unquote, be involved. So it's you'll have a lot of problems like that, too. And we had that. Before, uh, in Florida, this is a fun one, in 2006, when I was working in Sarasota for Christine Jennings' campaign, there were machines that you could vote for, I'm going to forget who was running, maybe Davis and uh, Nelson. Like You vote for those, and then Christine Jennings, and then you go to the review screen, and it wouldn't show up. Her vote wouldn't show up, so you had to go back and then add her again. And so we had like a massive amount of undervotes. Um, that was obviously a different kind of scheme. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of people taking seriously like individual candidates instead of just overall I'm voting straight Republican. I think there's going to be a lot of people who vote straight Democrat.
0: Well, I mean, I I just want to mention the most um, damaging undervote uh, in in the last five years, which was actually here in Florida in 2018. Uh, Bill Nelson was running for reelection. And in my own congressional district, which at the time stretched across two counties in one of the counties, not the one I live in here, uh, the ballot was confusing. And there were over 10,000 undervotes in that race. Like uh, basically the margin of the race was decided by these undercounts because this is the most Democratic uh, district. In all of Florida, if not one of the most Democratic districts in all of the country, uh, it's like regularly like plus 60, plus 70 Dem. And, yeah, I mean, these undervotes are a big deal. So if you start to see undervotes uh, factoring into what happens in the election, I think we could safely say that some of it is coming from Republicans who are uh, pro-choice. And that that's right. pretty interesting. I mean, I, I, it, overall, I think it just sends the message that. The worst Republican par- uh, strategist in all of America is none other than Samuel Alito, and he's also the loudest.
1: Interesting.
0: Think about that. Did you hear his speech in Rome to the uh, the folks that, that send him uh, amicus briefs from Notre Dame?
1: I saw highlights.
0: Yeah, the Religious Liberty Institute at Notre Dame actually submits filings to the Supreme Court. And oh, yeah, by the way, he's going and speaking to them. I mean, just imagine the uproar if uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had gone off and said, I'm going to only give speeches to Planned Parenthood. Right. You know, and and we won't even find out until next year if Notre Dame paid Alito to go give that speech and flew him out to Rome or if he just did it on his own time. But either way, I mean, isn't it scary that you have this person who's supposed to be impartial just going out there and throwing out how very partial he is and not only impartial partial but aggrieved just like uh uh, brett Kavanaugh, just like clarence thomas who's also a very aggrieved individual you know i just don't see how you can get uh justice from people who have tremendous grievances and, and and need to air them in the political space like these people
1: right understood any um Final I mean, I'm not here, a judge
0: for a reason, okay? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, as you as you but if you want to make me a judging, Supreme Court
0: judge, I'm all ready for it.
1: You're very good at judging people, but not in a bad way. I mean, it, I've got
0: it's... more courtroom experience than Amy Coney Barrett. I promise you that.
1: That actually is true. I can back <laughs> no, that up. No, that's definitely true. <laughs> and my favorite is when you go on the Zoom court ones and you're wearing like a heat athletic shorts and like a Shh, suit and tie. Don't tell them all oh. my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone uses that one. There was a, there's some kind of one piece. My friend showed me. It's like a robe and like, it's got a suit and tie at the top. I don't know. It. It's just something that I think is nice. I haven't worn a suit and a, t- a tie. Look, in there's this the one
0: judge that I've been in front wedding. of quite a few times.
1: I think it was a you, wedding. This is
0: funny. Yeah. Like, this one judge who, um, like, especially during the pandemic when you knew he was from home, like, he would always show up. And I noticed eventually that you would just see his robe and you would never see, like, a dress shirt or a tie underneath it. And I think this guy is just wearing a T-shirt and his robe. (laughs) And it was like – it always just looks so funny because it's like, what am I – it took me a while to pick up on it, you know? And I was just like – well, kudos to him. those robes can't be too comfortable when it's hot outside.
1: <laughs> well I, I, I wouldn't think so. no absolutely not. Um, any final words here? We got to wrap up. I just realized the time.
0: Oh, the time passed way
1: too quickly on this
0: episode. but look, I mean, my final word is this: um, the The top Republican strategist in America, Samuel Alito, sent. The matter of abortion rights and pro-choice versus pro-life uh, activism back to the states. And we're already starting to see the results. We haven't seen the results in, in the partisan elections because the primaries are now and not the partisan ones for the most part. But we're starting to see the results that America is not this right-wing paradise like the media would have you believe for the last 20 years and up to this day. Um, America is not in tune With a lot of right wing policies like depriving veterans of health care, depriving women of health care and control over their body, Um, you know, refusing to vote for uh, bills that fight inflation. Uh, You know, America wants the things that Democrats have. The policies are sound. There's not a question about it. They're popular every time you pull them, whether it's, uh, you know, Medicare uh, uh, negotiating drug prices or better infrastructure or what have you. So why is it that Democrats aren't the more popular party? Well, I think it boils down to the structural failings of the Democratic Party and the Democratic establishment to support progressive media, Democratic media, media that supports taking care of people, media that points out hypocrisy. And until we see a change in the structure of American politics where Democrats decide to fight back on the same playing field as Republicans, rather than thinking that osmosis We'll get the message across without people like myself and Scott and the Midas brothers and so many others going out there and talking about these issues in public forums, taking questions and debating the issues of the day until those structural failings are resolved. We're going to keep seeing this imbalance between the reality that people want government to be a good force in everybody's life and do the right thing versus a group of people that sell dismantling government. For private interests that fund them that hurt people who vote for the people that dismantle the government so that's my two cents i'm out scott what do you got to say buddy
1: peace <laughs> yeah let's keep the momentum rolling it's a long road it's been a long road and you know grant and i look forward to uh keep to keeping this going and uh it's uh And we enjoy the conversations every week. So thank you for taking the time we will have, um, we will do our best to make sure that, uh, we answer everybody's questions. Um, there's the issue. may be there's going to be so many of them, uh, on, on our following broadcast. It's not going to be, um, you know, the same level of the audience and, and whatnot. So it will be a little bit different, but, uh, You know, I think that without, without people like us, um, you know, the world might, might suck a lot more, but, uh, I, I think with people like you that are listening, uh, the world uh, obviously is a better place. Um, and I, it is for me, you know, make my day, um, every time you listen in and, uh, we appreciate you dearly. So thank you for that. Um, keep in mind that we also have the Dworkin Report podcast, um, and then, uh, We'll keep on doing the report card. So, uh, Grant, I think uh, we're good here.
0: Well, everybody, have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the report card.